0: Running Light Ministry Podcast is brought to you by listeners like you. You can support these podcasts by making a gift to the ministries at runninglight.org. Well, welcome. This is Beau with Running Light Ministries. Wanting to say hello and let you know that you are listening to the Better Pleasure Podcast. And my partner Peter is sick, so it's just me today. So I'm just going to be talking and hope there's something that's said that you guys enjoy. Um, these podcasts are always dealing with... Issues of sexual immorality or sexual morality and the Bible and uh, issues of our culture, uh, issues of adultery, um, fornication, um, uh, pornography, things of that too. So I hope you guys um, enjoy the podcast. You guys can always ask us questions and we would love to answer them. You can just check us out at runninglight.org and check out all the information there. Um, this week was a good week. Um, actually, I really feel kind of refreshed in Christ. And uh, a lot of times in fighting, um, we call fighting. But what, what that really means is just dealing with the urges to maybe view porn or act out in those ways. That's what we talk about when we mean uh, fighting. Uh, meaning we just just don't do what we want to do all the time. And so nothing's wrong with fighting stuff. Um, Some people, some psychologists have a problem with that term, fighting sin. Like, you know, that's the problem is you guys are always fighting. It's adversarial and, you know, this adversarial kind of thing of fighting. But really, if you're not fighting something, then um, obviously you're allowing everything. So all of us are fighting something at some point. Um, It would just go figure. But in my week uh, of just dealing with uh, those urges in me, um, it was nice to be able to do a a little bit of a Bible study in Hebrews chapter 10. Um, And I loved it. It says, um, For since the law has but a shadow of good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered year after year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise they would not have ceased to be offered since the worshippers, having once been cleansed would no longer have any consciousness of sin But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sin every year For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Hebrews chapter 10 and And this this kind of lesson we went over this week was really on the issue of guilt the problem with guilt and uh it seems like everybody's trying to deal with this issue of guilt and sometimes people deal with it by saying hey it's really not a problem. So um you might, you know, be growing up as a teenager and you think, you know, gosh, I'm kind of I feel kind of guilty that I'm kind of abusing people sexually. Um and your heart's kind of a little rough. You're having intimacy with people. You're not really caring about them. Um you realize it's just for your own kind of sexual satisfaction, and that's about it. Um, and something in you is kind of just bothered about it. And some people would say, well, hey, just go with it. It doesn't matter. You know, um, just, you know, nothing's wrong with what you're doing. It's okay as long as you're, they understand, uh, your, your partner understands you're doing it for yourself, and, and um, everybody, you're not doing any, quote, harm uh, to anybody, then that's okay. Uh, but it's hard to get away from from guilt is it uh, isn't it it's it seems like it's always there with us and sometimes when you're dealing when you really are fighting something man you can be really sensitive to that guilt um in some major ways because even though you might not be acting out at the moment it it might feel like guilt in you just even though you're not even acting out you just feel guilty for things in the past And what this passage is saying is that in the Old Testament, the Bible teaches that the people of Israel offered sacrifices to God. It was a covering. It was to atone for sin. Uh, Meaning their sin was so detrimental that life had to be taken, the life of an animal. And Leviticus says life is in the blood. And so the blood of the animal would be shed, and that would be the symbol of the life's payment for that person. Someone's life was taken, that animal's life was taken for them. And this is a theme throughout the Bible, obviously. Adam and Eve sin, and they, they at some point cover their, themselves with leaves, but then later on they cover themselves with an animal, with animal skin. So a sacrifice is made, the animal has to die because of their, um, their f- nakedness. Their, something's wrong with them. They, they now carry these issues in their heart and and that what we call when something's wrong with you is shame. Um, and, and it's a word a lot of people don't like to use, especially with sexuality anymore. Um, it's kind of a hot button, you know, you don't want to shame people sexually and stuff like that. Um, and I believe that you shouldn't overtly or overly shame anyone. Um, and that certainly is not. It should just not happen in a Christian's speech. We shouldn't be about the business of shaming people. We should be the, about the p- business of talking to people and discussing matters and learning um, what's happening in lives and helping them understand uh, the Bible's view of things. See, the Bible comes from an angle that everybody is um, tainted, and that's a big difference from maybe a secular psychology um that that wouldn't hold to that um biblical world view that people are initially fallen from god and therefore we have like a defect and we need to be made well um instead they would say no people there is no people are just born they're not good or bad they're just born um, and that would maybe be their their argument. But the Bible says something different. It says that we were born in iniquity, and iniquity is the idea of bending. It's the idea of being bent. So something's, you know, in the sense we're all shameful. In the sense that are, you know, in the sense that we're all bent. We all have a a bend to us where we don't go towards the ways of God. And so. So in the Old Testament, these sacrifices were made that was just a repetition of it. And if you could just imagine waking up every morning in Israel in the camp and just being all, hey, Dad, hey, Mom, how's it going? And just seeing smoke all the time rising up from the, the, the tent uh, of meeting or the tabernacle, the temple that was uh, a moving temple at the time. Um, and you would see these, these priests just constantly sacrificing animals. And that's what this passage is saying. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, meaning it was just a shadow, it was just something there to remind the people of their sin, Um, it could never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered year after year, make perfect those who draw near. So even though people came with their sacrifices day after day, year after year, month after month, however, they couldn't uh, find a perfect sacrifice to cleanse them 100% fully. And and sometimes, you know, in fighting the battles of pornography or sexual sin, um, what the Bible calls sexual sin, uh, whenever you fight it, like I said, anything, um, there is that, there can be that sense of guilt there. Um, The sense of shame, you know, we have to understand that, that just as we're going to deal with how guilt is taken care of, shame is taken care of the same way. Um, I'll just give you a little teaser, though. In Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, it says... Um, uh, let me read it to you, just so I don't butcher it at all. But um, it's a very famous passage, very cool passage. Um but, uh, it says for he made him who knew no sin to be sin that we, we might become the righteousness of God in him. So I'll repeat that for he made him who knew no sin. So God made Jesus who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So you can see where shame is taken away, where we have, we have literally been given a new nature, um, By faith in Jesus Christ. And so the bend um, of being born in iniquity um, gets erased because of Jesus. We now are seen as in right standing or righteousness with God. Um, And which is pretty awesome. Um, Another passage in the same section is verse 17. and Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So that's pretty awesome, right? All things becoming new. Um, So you see where shame gets taken care of, that sinful nature are are born into nature of of bending um, away from God, now is dealt with. Um, We are seen by God through faith as right with him having right standing with him so we have a a right approach because of our trust in him a right stance if you will so sometimes in a like when you're especially when you're married i think the spouse who is trying to help the one who struggles with sexual stuff has to realize that maybe your husband or it could be vice versa your wife and i'm speaking to the one who doesn't struggle now um but your husband or your i'll just say husband but could be having feeling guilty a lot you know and they could even be feeling shame you know where they feel like something's still wrong with them like they have that you know like i'm just oh i'm defective as a human being um i'll I'll never get it right and and that's i i think where you can heap uh an abusive amount of shame on someone where You could say yeah that's right you know you're never gonna change and when you say that to someone like hey you're never gonna change or you're always gonna be that way or you know in in negative vibes you know and in a negative way man that can be just so disheartening to a person because they already feel guilty they already feel like they're going against their belief system so you know they said vows to their wife They believe those vows mean they're not to look at anything else sexually. um, And they do. um, And they have. So they feel guilty. So they have a guilt. But then there's that shame of trying to change and it not happening at quite the speed that they want it to happen. And so they feel that, that there's something wrong with them you know, inside, like they, they're never going to be able to change. They're just, that's the way they are. And so if you come at them and say, hey, you know, you're never going to change. You're always going to be the the same. That kind of shaming can be tough, especially if you're dealing with a teenager. Could you imagine like what that would do to a teenager? If you say to the teenager, you know, you're never going to change, especially in Christianity, because you're teaching them as they're growing older that we have a sinful nature. That we do are born in iniquity. We do have a, a sinful bend, so we already are in a shameful state uh, to begin with. And then, obviously, through Christ, we, that that shameful place has been remedied. Meaning now we've been seen. We're seen as good with God through faith, which is awesome. Um, so then, if you heap on more shame, and you tell that teenager, man you're an addict, you're never going to change, you know, you are, you know, you are just a perv forever. And or you just say those cunning things, man, Or like, you masturbated, that's horrible. You know, you're just a perv, like every other person, or how could you daughter, you know, self gratify? That's, that's horrible. Or I can't believe you, you're a slut, or you're a whore. Or saying things like that is just, man, it's just like vile. And, you know, just hearing those things just break my heart. Um, you know, and I didn't come from, I wasn't raised in a, in a Christian home per se, you know. So I wasn't raised around this kind of lingo. But if I heard anybody, uh, any parent calling their, their daughter a whore or a slut, Um, Even if the daughter had sex and then you say, you know, you're a whore or man, that's hardcore. Um, And then to say to them, you know, you can't change or you're just always going to be a whore. Now you're dealing with, you know, something's wrong with them. Um, And, you know, sex is, you have to understand that sex is a part of the creation of God from the biblical perspective it is something that is good it is something that god has made us desirable and and to desire things and people and and it doesn't mean that we're to do everything with that obviously but it it means that um god has created us this way and so we are to act responsibly with that and learn what that means to be responsible with our our sex in our sexuality, um, but we certainly aren't to look negatively initially up at our sexuality and and say, "Hey, okay, my sex is bad." You know, sex is bad because um, when you when you shame a teenager, um, especially, man, you can really w- do some damage to them. Where when they get married, and this is what I see, and a lot of times in counseling for twenty-year-olds and thirty-year-olds who are married, is they come and they want to talk about their intimate lives, but they, they struggle with their intimate life because they feel it is shameful to engage in sex. And so there's many questions. Can I do this? Can I do that? If I do that, I feel shameful about it. Um, and really, from a biblical perspective, it's the husband's job to help the wife through those things. Meaning, the husband should be wise enough in his knowledge of the Scripture to be able to understand and teach the wife where, where, uh, you know, to read Song of Solomon and say, "Man, this is supposed to be awesome. You know, sex is awesome. Sex is something God loves. God says in Proverbs chapter five, man, that the breasts are to satisfy us. You know, and and you know, there's again in Song of Solomon, there's parts and, and fruit and fluids and." You know, and that we are to, uh, to love one another in our expression of sexuality and, and those type of conversations. But a lot of times um, husbands can be kind of in bondage to their own shame too and their feelings of guilt um, for various reasons and um, maybe from their background too. And and they don't know how to express their own sexuality because they don't really have a, a really good biblical understanding of it themselves and that's the sad part is i think a lot of a lot of the secular psychologists that have uh, people in religion especially christianity that are going to them and struggling with pornography and the guilt of pornography or the guilt of whatever they're doing self-gratifying or things like this you know a lot of times those people they were raised probably in christian homes don't get me wrong conservative christian homes but they didn't really, you know, maybe didn't teach their kids much properly about sex or really, you know, read the whole Bible. And and this is where I think a lot of young teens, 20s, 30s run into problems is, you know, they've never really read the Bible. And you are seeing just how much sex is involved in the Bible. Because if anybody reads the Bible, you're going to realize, man, the whole thing is about an intimacy between God and his people and sex, the verbiage for sex, is the verbiage for God's intimacy with his people. So when Adam goes into Eve, God's in us. When Adam knows Eve, which means he had sex with her, uh, Jesus knows us, um, he, meaning he's intimate with us. Meaning it's, the, it's, it's allegorical. Um, sex is an allegory for God's relationship with his people. And you see that throughout the whole Bible. And God certainly sees Israel and the church as brides and 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 women. And religion, religious symbolism, is usually always shown by a woman. So if there's a false religious system in the Bible, it can be called a whore, as you see in Revelation, uh, the latter part of the book. So if people understood that, they would probably go, "Oh man, God is pro-sex." he's, he's certainly pro that, you know, I can kind of navigate. I don't have to feel shameful because those things. And, but it's sad when a mother or even a, a wife or again, vice versa, a husband shame their spouse for something sexual, you know, like, Hey, I masturbated, like you find out they masturbate and you, you shame them. And, and again, that, that, it, that might be, you might just be reiterating what their parents did with them, <laughs> you know, on, on the issue of self-gratification. Um, and that wouldn't be good at all. You, so you're just reinforcing that bad behavior that began with their parents. That that wouldn't be good. Others have lived in a very loose background where they engaged in a lot of sexuality when they were young and they didn't have any supervision. And they just want out of it. They just don't want to be entrapped to their behaviors anymore. And they're wanting to move away from them. But they find that there's a pull there in their heart. And they do go towards um, sexual things and uh, and self-gratify. And they feel horrible about it. And like I said, even when they're not doing it, they can feel very horrible about themselves. And that's not good. So, you know, there's a lot of affirmation that needs to take place in people's lives when they're wanting to move in a different direction in their life. there's always a lot of affirmation. Um, And you think about it, that's what God does with us too, right? He's constantly affirming his love. I mean, I think of Zephaniah 317. The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love and he will rejoice over you with singing. Isn't that great. I mean that's awesome. I mean what a great passage. I mean I love that, you know. I mean he just delights over us with singing. Um Psalm forty verse five. Many, O Lord, my God, are your wonderful works which you have done, and your thoughts towards us cannot be recounted to you in order. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. Isn't that amazing? They're more than can be numbered. What's more that can be numbered? God's thoughts towards us. That's what. I mean. That's how much He loves His people. I mean, that's that, Those things are amazing. You know. Um. There's a con- so you know the the Bible when you read the whole Bible too, you realize that it is a constant affirmation of God's love for His people. And so, you know, if I'm in a Christian relationship, I'm going to want to constantly affirm love. I'm going to want constantly affirm it's like i I, it's like when i know that my wife is struggling with something and i know it's a battle it's hard for her whether it's you know things like food even things simple uh, we think uh, it's nothing simple about food but we uh, but just the 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 um idea of food you know and getting our food our diets right right can be quite a struggle and if, if my wife was, you know, uh, confessing something to me about that, I wouldn't be like, oh, man, you're never going to change. How could you? How could you eat that burrito? You know, what is wrong with you? You know, I mean, you know why you're not going to change? Because you're Mexican and you ate the burrito. And, that's, and my wife is Mexican. I married into a Mexican family. And, you know, but what if I said that to her? <laughs> like, man, dude, I mean, that's just so harsh. I mean, let's face it. That's just so harsh. So, you know, affirmation is, is vital in helping people through because, you know, a lot of us feel like we're still under the blood of bulls and goats, meaning we always feel like we're never going to have forgiveness of sins never gonna be forgiven we can never because we keep sinning we keep struggling keep battling um you know and even when i'm doing good i'm feeling like man well i wasn't doing good last month or the you know last week or maybe the day before or a year ago and man that's a bummer and you know and and you don't forgive yourself you know and then and then you know people in your life don't forgive you either and they don't affirm you so um you know that kind of thing can very difficult it would be interesting it's always in, I know it's very difficult, but most people don't most couples don't even talk about sex they just don't talk about intimacy together. They don't talk about pornography together and the reason why you would talk about pornography together is because pornography's free in our culture that's why you would talk about pornography together because it's free and it's available to your 6-year-old child when they go over a friend's house and they're on the tablet um, meaning if your kids potentially could be watching triple x porn it's probably something that you guys bring up at some point in your marriage too and talk about and you guys kind of kind of start talking about these issues and and things like that and just kind of you know having some dialogue about it and for many people it just it's a horrible topic for them. And that's what I find is like many women don't want to go there. They don't want to go there because they think every time pornography is being mentioned, it has something to do with a man not wanting to be with them. And that's not the case because let me just take it, take it to the six-year-old. When the six-year-old is watching porn, is it because they want to have sex with that person on the screen? No. they just They stumble on it. It excites them. You know the 12-year-old who's who's viewing it is excited about it, um, very intrigued. They become aroused sexually, so they have a physical reaction to the um, the eye candy. You know that's what I call it—just the the eye, the st- you know stimulation. Um, but I, w- I mean, would you go up to your 12-year-old and and say, "I can't believe you want to have sex with these people." Like, what kind of perv are you um i can't believe that you know of course you wouldn't or i hope you wouldn't because that's not i mean you know there's so much porn today there's so much videos there's so many things that people can clip on click on people are clicking just video after video i mean the average i think time on a on a porn site is like 10 minutes anyway it's really short you know people click a few things probably and just get off of it you know, and maybe they self gratify maybe they don't um things like that, but um you know you just w- it would be so wrong to on so many multiple levels to 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 think that the only reason why a person's viewing pornography is because they wanna be with that other other person. And, and that's not the case, um, you know, at all. Some people do, I'm not going to mistake and uh, not going to lie. There are some people that, um, want to be with a certain person and they watch a certain person all the time and that's the person they go to, but that's not most people. Most people are just going to whatever and, um, and they're watching many different things and, um, and it, it could be, it can, the, the women can be exchanged, the men can be exchanged and it doesn't matter, you know? So it's, but those are reasons I think are one of the reasons why, uh, strongly people don't want to talk about it is they're, you know, they're afraid. They're afraid that their husband's going to say something or their wife's going to say something like, Hey, you know, you, you, you know, I'm just not sexually satisfied. And that is a blow, um, how do you deal with that? You know, how do you, how do you, like, what does that mean? Um, you know, and whenever we're dealing with sexuality, man, it's, it seems like it's such a sensitive issue because it's a vulnerable place, right? We're naked. I mean, we're giving ourselves so fully to someone and to say to someone, you know, you, you know, it just, it doesn't seem like you're into it. You know, if you had a dialogue and you're like, well, it doesn't seem like you're really into me. You're not really into the, the sex at all. Um, Man, that would be huge. I mean, that would probably hurt quite a bit. But the thing is is, you know, if you affirm, if you start conversations off with affirmation saying, "Hey, I love you. I'm for you. I made a commitment to you, and I am in that commitment for you uh with you. Um, and I'm not going anywhere." You know, this talk's going to be difficult, but let's let's do it to to progress in our marriage. Um, you know, that's what we want to do. We want to learn we want to progress in our marriage. If you could start it off like that, that would be great. But the only way you're going to be able to have these kind of talks on sexuality is if in your marriage, you guys are, are good with talking about issues in general. Um, there's no way you're going to talk about sexuality if you don't talk about other things. Because um, sexuality is going to be too sensitive of a topic, and it's going to potentially be a hurtful topic, or it could be. Um, And you just won't go there. So, you know, the question I always ask is, you know, do you guys talk? Do you guys have times of confession? Do you guys talk about things? Are you guys affirming your love for one another normally, daily? Um, Do you guys enjoy each other? Do you realize that both of you have faults and flaws or desires or wishes and wants? Um, Are you guys okay with understanding that you, you can't meet every need that each other has and those type of things. And, and then going from there, like I said, most couples are going to be like, no, we don't feel, we don't talk about those things. And so you almost have to start at that ground level, you know, in your marriage and go, hey, let's just start praying together. Let's just start talking about our lives together. Let's just start affirming our love for one another. Let's just work on that, just affirmation. So I, I would imagine many marriages are at a very elementary level. They don't want to talk about how they parent, they don't want to talk about their fears with their kids. Maybe a husband traditionally just wants to go watch the ball game, let the wife deal with stuff. But they never really get together and, and do things together and talk about them together and really think through them, pray about it. Because when you do, then, then sex is just another part of that. And you can talk about sex and you can talk about what you like and what you don't like and, you know, and even talking about pornography. What is the lure? You know, what are things that you're attracted to? You know, what is the pull of your heart at times, you know, because it would be foolish for me to think my wife doesn't see something attractive other than me. That would just be very naive um, to say, oh, my wife, she doesn't find anything attractive. Nobody attractive other than me. That's it. Um, you can live in that Peter Pan land, but, um, but I think it's very naive to, to do so. Uh, meaning there, we live in a world where there's many people that are attractive, but it doesn't mean I want to have sex with everybody, and to be able to explain that and talk about those issues and be okay with it where you know I remember growing up and my mom um loving i think it was like robert redford he was he was an actor and he I remember he had a picture of she had a picture of him um if i remember and uh, I could have it wrong, but I remember i think a picture of Robert Redford that she had and she always liked him as an actor and thought he was a good looking handsome man. But wouldn't that be weird if the husband was like, her husband was just like, uh, like, uh, "I'm offended that you find him attractive." Like that's so that's I can't believe that that is an offense to me. You know, I should be the only one attractive to you." Um, you know and, and, and somehow that husband would equate her attractiveness to Robert Redford as lust. That would be wrong. Um, that's a wrong equation. Just because you're attracted to someone doesn't mean that you lust them, meaning you want to sleep with them. Uh, You're you're lusting them. You want to be with them. You don't want to be with your wife. You want to be with the other person. I would think that would be considered. But it doesn't mean that just because it's wrong, it doesn't mean we don't talk about it. We need to have these kind of conversations. And they're not easy. I mean, I, I, I totally admit to it that you know, me and my wife have, you know, we have a wonderful relationship, and we've known each other a long time, and we've had a lot of talks, and a lot, so many different conversations about sexuality, and sex, and things of that nature, and and you don't want all your talks to be serious, you want some to be playful, and funny, and and that way, when the topic of sex comes up, it's not always this hardcore, we're going to have a sit down, and kind of thing, and it's learning how to integrate the most one of the most basic functions of humans into conversation which we just have not done a great job at all in our marriages and in our upbringing of children so you know you might want to rethink that and and start thinking through how you can integrate some of these conversations with your kids and with your spouse and your loved ones and make it fun and and not so hardcore all the time and sometimes it can be great i mean christianity is great because you can just open up the bible and you can just show your kid a passage you know or your teenager a passage and they blush like whoa i didn't know that was in there and you go yeah man you know this is you know that that what that's saying is this or you know have them read proverbs uh five six and seven and uh and then have a chat on that you know have them read ezekiel 16 and and talk about that passage um you know go over things like like those passages and and discuss them now getting back to the idea of guilt and shame you know we read the passage from hebrews which was really important because it talked about how we feel guilty and sometimes we just feel consistently guilty and really, the remedy for that is we have to fix our eyes on Jesus. Because in Hebrews chapter 10, 5 through 10, it, it goes on and it says, That is why when Jesus came into the world, he said to God, You did not want animal sac- sacrifices or sin offerings, but you have given me a body to offer. You were not pleased with burnt offerings or other offerings for sin. Then I said, look, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written about me in the scriptures. First, Jesus says, you did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings or burnt offerings or other offerings for sin, nor were you pleased with them, though they were required by the law of Moses. Then he said, look, I have come to do your will. He cancels the first covenant, which is the old Moses one, to put in the second into effect, which is him laying down his life, using his body. For God's will was for us to be made holy or whole or complete or mature by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. Isn't that great? Once for all time. Now that is a biblical truth that's really important because it says once for all time we were made holy by the sacrifice of the body of jesus by the body of jesus by him laying down his life for us his blood that was shed it says in the book of peter on the cross it says so you need to affirm that the person's life who struggles with temptations in this area because they can feel guilty even when they're doing good even when they're having a good day or a good month and that guilt is not true. It's not the true position that they have with God, but it's just the way they feel. Even someone who is stumbling into the sin, they are guilty of the sin, but they still have been made holy by the body of Jesus Christ. It is not as though Jesus was offered as a sacrifice for sins, and then if we sin, he is no longer offered for us. And then if we don't sin in a day, he's He's sacrificed for us. And then if we mess up the next day, then he's not sacrificed for us. Because then he would having to be sacrificed every day for our sins. And that is what the old covenant was. It was the continual daily minute sacrifice for sins by animals. But Jesus is God incarnate. He is God in him reconciling the world to him. To the Father, it says in 2 Corinthians five twenty one that we read. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. And that's the difference, is it's not an animal. It's literally the infusion of fully God, fully man. The identification with man, the identification with God. Both meeting in one person, that person, the Christ, the Messiah, Jesus and laying down his life for us, which was a perfect life. And through our faith, us receiving a perfect life, like a stamp of approval, if you will, a stamp that says you have lived a perfect life, even though we don't. But that's what our faith has done. It's given us a perfect position in Christ. And that is beautiful. So when someone stumbles back into it, and they're like, dang, man, this is a bummer, you know. Then we affirm these passages to them. We affirm that, hey, Christ sacrificed for you once for, it's all, all, once for all time sacrifice, honey. Jesus loves you. He died for you. He's with you. Man, he saves you, you know. And that that affirmation is, um, will help him with his guilt and with the shame that he will deal with and that maybe he's been dealing with since he was a kid. Um, that, again, that idea of saying, I'm defective still, I'm messed up still, which initially isn't so much a bad thing, but after someone comes to Christ, it certainly is vital that we switch gears and we get the affirmations all the time that we are okay. In Jesus Christ, hopefully this brings up different thoughts to you. I know some fam, some I can hear some uh, couples saying, "Well, what if he's, what if he or she is not sad about what they do?" Well, that's a different story. If you're not, if you're not, if you're not sad about it, if you just go, "Oh, well, whatever," I, I, you know, don't care, then. Then that's that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about people who genu genuinely go, hey, you know, I do want to I do want to change a behavior in my life, and changing behaviors aren't the easiest thing in the world. Um, they are quite difficult. Just try it one day, and you will see. So we all need the affirmations in our life, especially the affirmations of of God's grace, and that's what we're talking about: is the amazing grace of God that saves wretches like us. And so hopefully this time of podcast, just with me, kind of sharing some thoughts with you, um, will have helped and, and been appropriate for where you're at today. We always strongly believe at Running Light that God is a better pleasure. Um, we take that from Psalm 36, eight, come drink from the river of God's pleasure. And that's always the battle in our minds is, is do I see God as uh, a beautiful God, a loving God? Um, one who can provide, um, where I don't need to go to the old behaviors I want to change. Though they're there and though we live in a culture that presents it all right before us. So remember grace. Remember that God affirms his love towards you in so many areas. And may you just get on your knees and talk to him and cry out to him and ask him, um, to show himself to you, to love you, and to help you. And he will do that certainly no matter where you're at and, and uh, what's happening. Okay? So if you guys have any questions, give us a buzz. bow at runninglight.org. And we'll talk to you guys next week. Check out runninglight.org to begin our two video series, Take Flight and Love or Lust. You can also send us questions on Twitter at Running Light or on our runninglight.org podcast page. Like us on Facebook at Running Light Ministries, Psalm 368. They are abundantly satisfied with the fullness of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your pleasures.